0: Welcome to the CBGS podcast, brought to you by Aspen Waite. My name is Mister Armstrong. I'm here with Mister Waite today. <laughs> Hello, I'm Paul Wait.
1: Hello, Paul. Not Mister Wait.
0: Yes, Mister Paul Waits. <laughs> and uh, we're excited today because, oh, really? um, well, I'm very excited because mm. we're in the new podcast um, recording space at the ben Hol- Benjamin Holloway House in Bridgewater. That's a that as lion's house. house. Lion's house, yes. So, um, yeah, testing the setup today and uh, coming
1: at you live from the podcast studio in Bridgewater. We've just been listening to The Chain by Fleetwood Mac, so we're feeling quite funked up oh, today. People. Ready to roll. <laughs> so how are you, Paul? A uh, bit tired today, but um, bit tired. busy week. End of the week, know? yes. Been a busy one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, so the most exciting thing I did this week in terms of new stuff was... Um, uh, a visit to John Joe O'Neill's stables At Jackdaws Castle um, About 10 miles from Cheltenham On Tuesday uh, John Joe O'Neill uh, rode my favourite horse Of all time, Sea Pigeon Um was also uh, Synonymous with um, a horse called Dawn Run who was the first uh, Mayor I think to win the Gold Cup um, And uh, was uh, Successfully Battled against cancer himself oh, wow. um, Is the uh, first man in history to ride and train a winner on both the flats and the jumps. Mm. So, uh, meeting him was a bit of a, an honour. Awestruck? Well, struck. He was, no, no mm. nah. hardly. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting, when when uh, he took us up and down the gallops, and uh, I think to start with, he wasn't too sure what, to, you know, what it was all about, but as soon as I um, started talking about horses, he um, he's like, oh, you know what you're talking about, so... Uh, that was uh, it was it was fabulous. So that was that was really good. And as you know, yesterday we had um the expo at Reading, Green Park. Um uh I was also made a patron of uh, a charity that I've been funding for a while called Cherishers. Okay. Um so I'm I'm excited about that. So um uh the thing the thing about going going to the expos, it's probably one of the few times when uh, I get to realise the progress I've made as an individual in terms of how I'm greeted. and, um, and For instance, after my talk yesterday, there was a queue oh, really? of people to see me. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, right at the door. Did you do the, the thing again um, about a uh, free hour. hour of time? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, one of the guys wanted me to mentor him. Uh, uh, one company wanted me to, to, um, to help them with their business plan and their fundraise. So, um, no, it was really good. Um, and uh, the subject matter was very enjoyable. So, uh, we talked about disruption, mm. um, which we could talk a bit, a bit about today, I yeah, think, because it's yeah. uh, obviously very, very interesting. Mm. So, um, yeah, I've been uh, very grateful uh, to be driven around most of the time, apart from Wednesday, by my mean teen. Oh, yeah. So, uh, a teen uh, loves the expo, so she's, uh, I think, she's the dominant character in the whole uh, in the whole of reading you they for sure networking queenie yes N- networking teeny <laughs> teeny queenie <laughs> that's it yes yeah, so, so if you want to talk a bit about um so disruption is 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 probably uh one of the single most important things that uh, uh anybody running a business needs to understand because it effectively means that either if, if you positively disrupt it or even um you, you don't disrupt uh, failure to do to do anything. Um, I was going to call. Say, so yesterday my, my talk was called "Disrupt" or "Be Disrupted," mm. but like it could have been "Is someone eating your lunch?" Is someone uh, eating your lunch? Do you think that's a cruel title? Oh wow! Yeah. Or I said, "Is someone eating your lunch, or might they eventually be eating your lunch?" Is probably. So um, one of the one of the things because one of the things we try to do uh, on the show is. Uh, to make it very topical, so this week uh, we had very sad news that Pizza Express, with its 470 uh, stores or outlets, whatever they're called, uh, across the United Kingdom, um, is, is, is in severe financial trouble okay. with £1.2 billion of debt, um, falling sales. Uh, and it's quite interesting looking at it from uh, a, a sort of a marketing disruption point of view. Uh, Pizza Express entered the UK market in 1965, at a time when uh, the 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 food offering in the in the UK was dire. Uh, mm-hmm. We were rightly considered to be almost like the worst food in the world. Very poor choice. Didn't have all the Indian restaurants and Chinese restaurants you have today. You know, you wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, you wouldn't have. people like Nando's and Chiquitos and all this sort of stuff. You know. So Pizza Express actually revolutionised food partially in the UK. For instance, they also invested in um, authentic uh, Italian wood burner stoves. Ah, yeah, like the stone bake ovens. Yeah, so the Pizza Express experience was very (laughs) authentic. Um, Of course, what my point was in my talk yesterday was uh, Pizza Express were the disruptors in 1965, and they're in the position they're in because they failed to continue to adapt
0: Mm. and innovate.
1: Mm. So... A uh, very similar story with Kodak. Kodak were uh, the leading uh, company in the world in the in the photographic industry. Uh, one of their own engineers, ironically, was the first person ever to invent a digital camera. Mm. Uh, the team took the digital camera to the board of Kodak, who basically said, Nein. Nein. Pick up a German for this purpose, because mm-hmm. I think Germans are much better at saying no, you see. Nein. So... Um, Yeah, incredibly, uh, presumably the view was that, uh, you know, the current market was, you know, they dominated the market and they were going to carry on dominating it with what they had. Uh, Bad mistake. Mm. Um, And despite a second bite of the cherry, they again uh, didn't go with the new technology and um, the rest is history. So, uh, you know, hence my little thing about uh, someone else's lunch because um, effectively i think as a company you either have to be the disruptor or one of the disruptors because if you're not then somebody will disrupt your market i don't think it's a case of uh if it's simply when when, when will someone disrupt the market you I think can't just stay still you no, can't uh, just no, be no. in the same product well that, that's yeah that's i think we've talked about that in a, in a previous episode um so any business that basically dares to stand still dares to fail. That's one of my sayings. So you can never you can dynamically stand still, as we've as we as we've discussed before. So one of the things that's quite interesting, you know, with that going over old ground in terms of new stuff that um, I talked just today, is I, I said to my audience that um, in in the strictest sense I didn't hadn't actually considered that Aspen Weight had truly disrupted the market themselves. Uh, we weren't actually, in the in the in the technical sense of the word, um, we weren't true disruptors. What we were is is people that had freshened up the market. But actually, um, and this was only the night before my talk, um, I actually reconsidered that position, and I actually think we have disrupted the market. Okay. And I told I told the, the people of the audience yesterday why I believe that to be true. Why nobody, is that? And nobody disagreed with me, so uh, uh, that, that's something. Share so, it with the world. Yeah. So. Um, what disruption effectively involves is uh, a business entering a sector or being or or, or or in a sector, either introducing a low level, low price product, or introducing a service or a product uh, that creates a new market. So that could mean, for instance, um, so I, I gave the, the example of photography. So historically. Um, only really the, the the wealthy and the very big institutions could afford to have uh, really top quality printing and photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, um, what happened with the digital revolution is that the mass market was able to have it. Mm-hmm. So, so if you if you take that, so let's say that you know five percent of people could afford uh, after the digital. Uh, revolution, perhaps fifty or seventy five percent of people could, so hence therefore you 've got um, bless you, um, not like to sneeze during a live podcast through you know that you're, you're, you're <laughs> d- apologies d- death is preferable <laughs> to sneezing um, <laughs> i don 't think we ought to go there, do we um, death. yeah, so um, when I thought about it, and my first reaction was, well you know we didn 't really come into the market in a low price way, but in a way, we sort of did because um, you know, when I'm trying to explain to, um, to people what the complete business growth service that we offer is really all about, one of the good ways of trying to explain it, I think, is to say um, the high quality services that had previously only been available to the market through the top 10 firms uh, are now available to the market because of us. Now, what's quite interesting is we, we took that decision uh, you know, a good, good number of years ago and one might reasonably suppose that if if one is saying, hey, you know, we care about all of you, that that might take you on a journey where you collected a lot of, let's say, you know, lower level business, you know, smaller startups, smaller turnover companies. Um, but the reason why I decided that I think we have technically disrupted the market is because of course, with us, our message is clearly so appealing uh well what, what what we've done i think if we if you look at it from a technical point of view we've entered the market saying hey you know you could all you could all get your photos here and the the, the people that were originally the people that were originally buying the who could afford to buy the photos in the first place are actually now turning around to aspen weight and saying we're we're, we're going to buy your products and they're not buying our products because we're cheap or we're making things available because they the service was available to them so the 500 million turnover company that i saw three weeks ago the guy said to me you're here because we think you're the best mm-hmm. so i think actually that that equals true disruption we've entered the market uh, you know basically appealing to the, uh, the 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 more medium and smaller sme community um, but can still completely serve. But now, but now we've, we've been accepted by the larger mm. and uh, mm. larger, medium and larger companies. So a full uh, spectrum. I think, I think that's uh, you know that's that is true disruption. So um, a nice a nice quote I think was um, Henry Ford. I think is the best example of getting people to understand what disruption really means. So Henry Ford actually said, um, "If I had given people what they really wanted, I, I would have given them faster horses." Mm-hmm. That was a really good quote, and of course, what happened in the late nineteenth uh, century was motor cars started coming um, onto the market, but they were uh, they were produced individually, obviously incredibly expensive so i 'm guessing you know each motor car would have cost probably the equivalent of two fifty thousand today you know mm-hmm. so you you would have had i't i don 't I, 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 I know the exact numbers but i 'm guessing you know, if we were if we were around, say, something like 1905, mm-hmm. you know, you would be looking at literally hundreds of cars. Yeah. No, not thousands. Mm-hmm. And and so, um, actually, until about 1920, um, cars hadn't in fact had disrupted the horse market. No. So the market was still dominated by the horse and cart because there weren't enough cars to disrupt it. It took uh, Henry Ford's automated production line to actually create disruption. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, I think, it's a good story that. And of course, um, as I said yesterday, um, you know, is another great Henry Ford comment, which was, "We offer a fantastic choice, uh, uh, and the choice is black." Basically, basically, you either had a black car or you had nothing, you know. And that was, and that that was how it is. So, disruption is uh, an incredibly important part of business. And as I urged my listeners yesterday, I said to the people in the audience, um, if if nothing else. I asked the people that that left when they had listened to what I had to say, they would go back to their businesses with a little bit of vim and vigor, and and perhaps a bit of objectivity, look at what they were doing, and and perhaps you know offer a better customer experience, and actually really think about what their customers wanted and how, you know, they could go about improving their performance. So one of the things. Um, uh, that Drew will be very excited about that was a great success yesterday um, Ben Oltham who um, is basically in charge of a TV programme called uh, well it's an internet, internet programme called Back of the Net um, uh, we've been sponsoring Back of the Net now through uh, my good chum Gary White uh, for quite a while actually it might even be a year because time flies nine months I would think at least and um, it's funny how these things are Um Ben obviously thinks a lot of Gary, and uh, through Gary, when I met Gary last in Reading, uh, Ben came along, and so I met Ben at the end of my meeting with Gary, and we had a good chat, and um, Ben had been listening to our podcasts avidly, and uh, very kind enough to say he thought they were very good, but um, he was of the opinion that uh, probably in order for us to get the uh, audience figures that uh, you know the quality of what we do deserves, that um you know he had a few ideas on that you know such as splicing up mm-hmm. uh the uh the, the podcast and putting out bite sized chunks out into social media in various ways so uh, he very kindly attended the, the presentation yesterday very I felt very it was very professional because uh, uh I obviously had all the all the gear all around me with cameras and oh, wow. and all that uh and ben i think ben well it was it was lovely yesterday because I I went from sort of thinking he was a nice chap to actually getting to see inside Ben if you like. And what I what I think what Ben and I discovered was that we were very similar. So um he Oh and of course the other thing as well we wouldn't know, so um he's actually comes from a bit of a teaching background, but also um very much a musical band, uh and a media, radio. Uh so I think, you know, one of the things that's really nice about uh, what's happening with Aspen Way with the way we're going. And this is all part of the disruption journey. Now, even doing this podcast is, I would say, was mildly disruptive. Um, and the thing that I've told my, my my people, which is probably quite uncommon for a chief executive, is, you know, I, I, I want to invest heavily in making sure that we have the finest state-of-the-art media production. And, and so having... You know, and, and you can't do that without great people. So having Ben join our team is... Um, is you know is all part of the journey. So that's a good example of uh, disrupting. And of course, one of the things that I'm very excited about in the future in terms of one of my visions for Aspen Wait is that. So let's take Drew for instance. I see Drew in the future being uh, being a seriously respected figure in the musical industry, where we are mentoring um, lots of bands throughout the country. People we feel have talent that need a bit of help to get them to where they're going to. So that's um, I'd like us to have our own record label. We'll be producing uh, music for people. But on a wider level and a more mainstream level, um, we want to be a production company. So we effectively want uh, you listeners with your own businesses, we want to be able to help you make videos Mm. and podcasts Mm. and things like that. So that's... uh, that's Very much where the future lies
0: for us, Mr. Armstrong. That's it, and it's like the power of bringing those things like media um, and technologies that are actually available to like the wider public now, like into your business and like internally, that gives you um, a much bigger, um, you know, power over what you can do as a company. I think, especially if you're marketing and
1: yeah, absolutely. Mm. So, um, yeah, that's, that's probably um, Aston Waits we're all brought up to date uh i did also meet an exceptional lady yesterday called um oxana artiomenko who um, i'm very hopeful um will be joining forces with us in a full-time capacity um oxana and her husband are both uh highly qualified cardiologists uh oxana works in the medical industry and it was very interesting she she sat in the front row at my presentation yesterday and uh uh, was a very helpful contributor. It's always good when you uh, do a talk to have people in the room that are on your side and make eye contact with you and say things. You know, it helps a lot actually. So I know a lot of people are terrified about doing public speaking. Oh yes, it me. really it really helps to have somebody on your side mm, in the room. Mm, mm. Um, and at the questions and answers yesterday, which is also very good. So the questions and answers went on for about ten minutes after oh, my nice. talk, I would think. And Oksana was uh, telling us says so one of the things she's doing. Uh, she's actually working with a team that has created the molecular structure necessary to cure cancer. Oh wow! Uh, so uh, they've actually created the molecules, and now they have to do clinical trials to to effectively um, make it a realistic full cancer prevention treatment. So, so you know, uh, another another real example. The Aspen Weight really are at the forefront of uh, cutting edge technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this this will this will only uh, increase. So my interest in Loxana, apart from uh, having a remarkable brain, is the fact that um, you know working with with her will give us serious credibility in the musical, the medical musical, <laughs> the medical uh, industry. Um, you know across all sectors, and it's something that um, uh, we're we're highly interested in. And of course, uh, my chum Darren Horn, who is in China at the moment, with. Um, Gareth of uh, the Celtic Miner, um, he he he's seeing an awful lot of interest from the Chinese in uh, medical innovation in the UK. So uh, yesterday was a, a a big day for Paul. Uh, so he went home feeling quite pleased with himself uh, in a number of, in a number of ways actually. So it's pretty good. Um, looking uh, further afield, so um, a few things at the moment that are um, seriously annoying me. Um, So uh, I know that some some of you don't think we should be political on this show, but I I think, you know, you only have one life. So I would like to record my extreme disgust at Turkey invading uh, Syria and fighting against the Kurds. Uh, One of the things that I cannot abide in in life is hypocrisy. And, of course, we hear all this stuff about the Palestinians who at least have their own area. Uh, We have the Kurds um, who historically and currently are a remarkable resilient and brave race who are on our side, who probably single-handedly defeated ISIS you know in in conjunction with the US in particular Uh, the US then dump on them by pulling out all their troops and then we just sit sit by and watch Turkey invade their towns and displace thousands of children and women Mm -hmm. sucks, sorry world, sucks do something about it Mm -hmm. um It looks uh, incredibly last night that something might finally be moving in Brexit land. Um, I I had come to a rather cynical conclusion that uh, effectively the establishment had won and and ground us down and that we probably were now in a situation where it was either no Brexit or no deal. Mm -hmm. But uh, there does now seem at least uh, a a ray of hope uh, that a deal will be struck. But... um, uh, if it doesn't, I think there's going to be an awful lot of trouble. So one of the things we um, we were going to talk about today um, was was actually democracy. So um, did you get a chance to read to see that video about from um,
0: yes, Aristotle about,
1: in the end? You know,
0: yeah, yes, Socrates, Socrates, sorry, yeah. Yeah. So um, that was a, that was a very interesting point. So um, Greece, uh, a- ancient Greece, the well, home, Athens in particular, yeah. Yeah, and the, the home of philosophy and democracy. Uh, and one of its biggest philosophers, Socrates, was actually um, not really an advocate of democracy. Well, totally opposite. Yeah, yeah he, he he thought it was a he thought it was a bad idea. Mm. Um, likened it to a, to a to a ship being sailed. Like, uh, um, would you would you would you choose common folk to sail the ship, or, or would it be um, you know professional experienced f- captain, experienced yeah. captain? You know, um, so why should it be d- any different uh, yeah. for a country? And it's it's quite an interesting point, really. Um, yeah, what, what,
1: what would you think about that? That's interesting. So, um, um, t- demos means basically the people. So democracy is, is basically where the people, uh, in, in its strictest form, is the people coming together to run the, to run the country themselves. Yes. What we have in the UK, and this is very, very important to understand this in terms of the current constitutional crisis, because it is a crisis, a huge crisis.
0: Representatives.
1: We have a representative democracy. So, what, that, what does that mean? That means that the people mm-hmm. have chosen a small group of people to represent them. So, obviously, in our um, constituency, which I think is called Sedgemoor, mm-hmm. um, we have uh, Ian Little Granger, uh, and, 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 our, and our constituency probably has, I don't know, 60,000 voters, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. something like that, you know. Um, and the people of Sedgemoor, obviously, to some extent, trust. Little Granger to represent us, Uh, and and to some extent, he has a responsibility uh, to represent all his constituents, regardless of whether they're Tories or Liberal Democrats. Uh, There being very few Labour supporters, it has to be said, in Somerset. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, that that is actually quite important. And for instance, you know, last week uh, we solicited uh, the opinions of uh, all of our colleagues in Aspen Waite Mm -hmm. as to what they thought about democracy. And I think um, Tom Keatley, who is effectively uh, heir apparent to the throne um, in the Southwark office down in the South Coast, uh, he felt quite strongly, uh, he really took the representative representative democracy point very far. And his, his view was that um, it was right that individual MPs should be strong and do what they genuinely felt was right, mm. uh, regardless, or necessarily, of whether the populace, Agreed with them. Mm, um, that's it. Because a
0: lot of people um, generally, when they vote, it will be for, for that, for their more for their personal um, uh, ideals or um, what's going on for them. N- n- they don't necessarily look at the wider picture as much as say, like a politician would or someone in that position. Um, so yeah, well, they could the, make the that, wrong decision.
1: That that, that you know, you get into dangerous territory there. Yeah. Then, in my opinion, I mean, you know, there is there is. Um, an argument there is an you could make a very powerful argument for saying, for instance, that only people who reach a certain level of mm. understanding should be able to vote. Mm. Um, but then where does that go? you know you you then you know it's like having an 11 plus for adults and saying, "Well you're too stupid to vote or whatever. And of course, one of the things which is quite galling um, for, is is is, is uh, the patronization that takes place all the time. Um, for people who voted for Brexit, being told that Brexiteers didn't know what they were voting for—they're all uh, highly ignorant and stupid. And, a, there, I think there's an know. element of truth in that. Um, like, oh, not not everyone's
0: you but like um, that people didn't see the the, uh, the big picture at the time. Some some people who voted wouldn't have looked at it in in such a way. Well, that works both ways. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I, I had a meeting this week with um, my longest-standing R and clients, and he said to me. That he had voted Remain, as had most of his friends, but he was now going to vote to leave, not because he thinks economically that's the best, but he is appalled by what he considers to be a breach of democracy, mm. and I think that's a, a, an opinion shared by quite a, a reasonable sized minority. So what, would why say. would that? Why would that be? Would you think like what kind of? Well, because of because the, the behaviour of Parliament. Mm. Mm-hmm. there's no doubt that a section of society is doing everything it can including throwing money at the High Court uh, to stop the, the brexit happening and and they come out with such convenient um, you know I think I think you know one of the one of the things you know, one of the things which is something I think people need to bear in mind is I I, I, I really don't understand the behavior of the EU because it seems to me as somebody who uh, struggled for a long time to decide you know, who I was going to vote, which way I was going to vote in the referendum. And I started out as a Remainer very much on the grounds of economics. Okay. So my economic opinion was that, on balance, voting to stay in was better. I ended up changing my view, not because of economics, but because of freedom. Mm-hmm. So my final website entry was called What Price Freedom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I basically said... Uh, I thought that the the economy may be 3% worse off in the medium term, but I was happy to pay that because I didn't want to be part of a federal Europe. Mm. And, And I've always, because of the way that my father brought me up, I've always felt that we as a nation betrayed the Commonwealth... Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to be I want to be doing business with the Australians and the Canadians and the New Zealanders and, and even the Yanks. Rekindle the Commonwealth. Yeah, I mean, the Commonwealth is, is still you know a highly powerful organisation. Mm-hmm. You know you've got um, you've got a number of countries in recent years that have joined the Commonwealth that were never a colony. Uh-huh. Mozambique being a good example. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you've actually got colonies. So Mozambique was a I don't remember if it was Portugal or France. So. Um, I'm struggling with that one, so no doubt someone will will point out to me later. But whichever uh, whichever of the two it was, uh, Mozambique is now in the um, in the Commonwealth. So um, you know, the Commonwealth is a serious uh, organisation. You know, it, it represents something like one third of the world's population. So it's a you know it's a bit a bit bit silly for people to say that we're too small to um, to stand on our own two feet as the fifth biggest economy in the world, which is. Makes you wonder how um, how small countries take somewhere like Norway, for instance, that we discussed two weeks ago, um, comes up very very highly as possibly the best best country to live in in the world. Um, well, they seem to do pretty well uh, not being in the EU, don't they? So, so I think democracy is a very interesting point. I think um, you know I think Tom's point, uh, you know that that you know it is a representative representative democracy, and therefore. Um, It's not necessarily wrong that uh, the majority of Parliament want to stay in when the referendum result was the other way Mm round. I think where, to me, there is a blatant disregard for democracy would be for people like um, Anna Soubery and Sarah Wollaston would be two very good examples. So uh, you've got both these ladies uh, were prominent Conservative Party MPs um, stood on the stood in the last election on the tory um, Tory promise manifesto, which included uh, making sure we left brexit one hundred percent no whatever and in sarah Wollaston's case she even signed um, she even signed an agreement saying that if she was to ever leave the Tory party that she would hold a by election mm. and has she so we yeah, now in a situation good. where the people in Devon, North Devon, I think, it is uh, that she's the MP for, who are overwhelmingly Brexiteers, overwhelmingly something like sixty percent of her constituents voted to leave, and uh, it's one of the safest Tory seats in the country, and they they've got a woman that's sitting uh, with the Liberal Democrats or whatever. You know, mm. it's just absolutely scandalous. You no, know? and I think what's what's quite interesting is, you know, when it comes to the whole debate about democracy, is. You've got people on both sides, you know, so if you like, you know, black and white, both claiming to be the champions of democracy. And that's why I thought it was quite an interesting thing to talk about democracy, because obviously they can't both be right, can they? Mm. Um, well, there's that, so many different types of democracy as
0: well, isn't there, when you when you look like at... The, um, well, I know we we're a representative democracy, but there's like direct democracy as well, isn't it, which... Um, uh, would maybe be better in this situation because it get things sorted quicker. What's your but, understanding of a direct democracy? So, um, representative democracy is uh, we have the representatives, uh, political representatives, in, in um, representing us. Whereas yeah. direct, it come, the decision comes straight from the populace, from the people. Yeah, so, that's so, like a referendum, though, isn't it? Yeah. So, so like, um, I think Switzerland is is one of the, uh, is a country that have a direct democracy that of uh, where it's been successful, but it's not. It can be dangerous um, because, like what you were, what we were talking about earlier, like um, one of Tom Keatley's points was um, about the death penalty and how most of the populace in the UK yes. actually um, actually were, were we're supported, it, were yeah. supported it, but because of we were we were um, actually you know the, the the type of democracy we had set up, the um, politicians could actually overrule that and not have the death penalty and obviously that is a in hindsight that's a much better decision than so if it was direct democracy, like you see we, we'd still have the
1: death penalty maybe yeah i think um i think probably um you know i don't think so i think one thing that we can um we can safely assume as balanced and not uh you know ridiculous fanatics like a lot of people are that are interviewed on television um you know there is to me, you know, something like this, there isn't. it's not a case of right or wrong. It's a case of looking at the balance of the facts and coming to a decision. And I think my conclusion as uh, a pragmatist, actually, and someone, you know, so I, I would, you know, I think having a, a, a government of national unity um, over the Brexit um, negotiations would have been a sensible thing to do, for instance. You know, I, I think that... Um, I, I, for instance, do take very seriously the fact that 48% of people didn't want to leave. So, to me, mm-hmm. that says to me that there isn't a, 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 any sort of majority that want what you might call a hard Brexit, shall we say? Mm-hmm. So, I think um, I, 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 I broadly support Tom Keatley's point, but with a twist, I would say. So, I think um, if we're going to have a representative democracy, and I think we have to come back to the fact that we have, so it doesn't mean mm-hmm. I think yeah, direct that's democracy what we've got, doesn't. Yeah. Doesn't figure here, and it would just make things worse. Um, I think the reason why we have the constitutional crisis, and people, people like me, would hark back to the the sort of rump parliament of Charles the First in 1641, and say, you know, this this situation is akin to that. Oh, what uh, happened there? Was this this obviously ended up with Charles being, losing his head, with oh Cromwell, and, and the civil war? Mm. So um you know to be and I, and I don't think it's wrong to compare um what 's going on at the moment with the situation that led up to the the english civil War and uh Charles I being beheaded and replaced by uh effectively uh, Tom, uh cromwell as as the protector but i think um you know what what what's happened here is there was a there was a democratic re- uh, referendum, and actually going into uh, the, the, the the last uh, so we go if we go back into I think it was the election was it 2015 um, I think, um, and the Tories actually had a clear majority, and then Theresa May in 2017 very opportunistically thought that by calling uh, a, a snap election. That the Tories would actually be able to increase their majority, but in fact it was a disaster because uh, the Tories then lost their majority. So that actually is the single, in my opinion, that is the single biggest reason why we now have the current fiasco, and that's why democracy has failed. Because um, if, if for instance the 2017 election had never happened, or and or. It doesn't matter which party it was and or any party had won a majority. We would not have what's going on now. Uh, the only reason, so what's actually happened is the people on the whole have basically chosen um, on balance the Tories to, to, to be the dominant government, which is why Boris Johnson is the prime minister. But because of various things notably the 2017 election, and then uh, a succession of people like Soubry and Wollaston crossing the floor and leaving uh, the Tory side, Uh, you now have a situation where the government is now in the minority Mm -hmm. for a start. And, of course, uh, that has meant that every time it tries to um, have a vote on something, they continually lose. Mm -hmm. If the 2017 election hadn't taken place that would never have happened all those votes would have gone through so so actually I guess you could argue that democracy uh, democracy can can be highly problematic in situations where effectively the people the direct democratic intervention which is the vote is is actually overridden by natural events of the representatives caused by the representatives. So I would I would I would respectfully suggest and it'd be interesting if anyone dis- disagrees with me here, that the reason there was a problem here and why therefore there's this blurred line about actually who is the Democrat here, you know which person is the Democrat? it's because um, the, the, the the actual proper outcome, Uh, was that uh, the government should be able to pass legislation, but it isn't. So you've got this sort of rather interesting situation where effectively the people who effectively should be the opposition are now actually driving the bus, if you like. Mm -hmm. Um, And, of course, that then has created this uh, situation, which is the first time I'm aware of since Charles I, where you hear all the time people talking about uh, the people against... Parliament. There's a there's now a clear split between the people and parliament. The parliament are basically saying we know best, aren't they? I think that's the general view. We know better than you. You know, you're all a bunch of thickos, you people, you know. Uh, you know, if, if, if you if you carry on doing this naughty thing, you know, you're gonna you're not gonna have any more sweeties and you're not gonna get to play in usual Nintendo and you're it's gonna be dark all the time, and you'll never get any sun and it'll rain, It'll rain for the rest mm. of your lives, you know. Mm. You know, that sort of stuff. And I think um, uh, one of the words that one might throw in to accompany that would be words like common decency or things like what is the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. So at the moment, uh, to be fair to Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson has said uh, that uh, he wants a general election. Mm -hmm. And regardless of who wins, no one could argue with the fact that who won that election, that would be the, the... the democratic, the direct democratic view of the people. So, uh, I think... And would that change the situation? Well, Yeah, yeah, of course it would. And of course, Mm. what's happening is, is that uh, Labour and the Liberal Democrats are basically saying, no, um, we're not going to have a general election because, effectively, they don't say this as obviously as this, we don't trust the people to make the right decision. So, we won't let you people get involved out. if we've stopped you creating this terrible uh, no sweeties and darkness scenario. So we've got to stop you doing that people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, It does make you wonder where it ends. You know, I mean, I'd have much more sympathy with a politician telling somebody they weren't allowed to smoke. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that would be a good example of where Tom was going. You know, yeah, I mean, I personally because you know it's bad for your health. So well, it's not. It's not. It's not so much. It's not so much. I don't give a. You know, if, if people want to kill themselves, that's up to them. My basic drain on society. My, my the NHS is, and is and that, that it was interesting yesterday. I was, <clears> I, was um, I was sat down. I had two two meetings prior to my talk yesterday, mm. uh, and uh, uh, when when I ended up having my final cup of tea of the day with Ben Eltham, uh, I looked out and there was the same lady outside—a blonde lady. Uh, smoking uh, has as had been smoking the last time I was sat there, oh, wow. and I make a joke. I said she's probably had seventy three fags <laughs> in the meantime. But the fact is, you know, if she wants to do that to herself, mm. uh, that's fine. But the fact <coughs> is, it's not a question again. It's not a question of when or if. I mean, she that lady it will has the lives of other. She people. will have her her health impaired. Mm. She <coughs> will have hospital treatment and which will are which we, as the taxpayers, are paying for. So my point is, I, I, I would say in that situation, um, a group of more enlightened people saying, actually, we know that 10 million people, even though they know it's going to kill them, want we'll to carry on smoking, but we're, hey, do you know what? We're not going to let you, you know? I mean, it, it, it's interesting, I think, with, with um, things like that, because, you know, you're not allowed to, to, to take crack heroin, so somebody is somebody is prepared to turn around and say, "Right, you guys taking crack heroin is against the law." So where does it where does it end? At what point do you say that stimulus or that drug is 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 so bad that you can't have it? You know. So I think you know that's that, that's what, what I think is a more interesting debate. I don't actually. I think Tom's point in itself is right. I think that um, the people do elect their government for the govern government to govern, but this government can't govern. Mm -hmm. That's what the problem is and that's where democracy falls down because this government isn't able to govern and therefore there needs to be sorted out but the people who actually uh, have the votes to allow that to happen are not allowing it to happen so I think what's the most interesting thing for me is when it does happen, because it will happen when it does happen how will the people react to that Mm -hmm. and I just hope that they the majority of people can see clearly as to who the bad guys are here uh, and, and vote accordingly but yeah and the other thing you know which again has taken me 59 years to come to this point which is which is you know i think a sign of maturity and pragmatism is again uh this malaise that we have is also is partly um due to our first past the post voting system um so, you know, generally speaking, it's it's on the whole considered that if you get more than thirty five percent of the votes you win. Well, thirty-five percent isn't fifty point one percent, is it? So, you know, if, if if this was Germany and the Tories got thirty-five percent, uh they would they would only have thirty five percent of the seats. Mm-hmm. But in the UK you can get thirty five percent and have four hundred seats, in theory, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you know, I think um I'd like to think that uh, that we as a society will learn from this, uh, I have to believe that because I'm a positive person, you know, I'd like to think that people will reflect on this terrible time in our history and perhaps think that actually um, having a more unified, uh, more representative democracy uh, is the solution. Could this be a catalyst for this change, for, for that change? Happening? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be. Mm,
0: um, I hope uh, it is. I suspect the opposite is true in the short <laughs> term. In in the short term, but when do you think a, an election um, might happen? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I think it will. Yeah. Oh well. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yeah, so I think. Yeah. So, so again, you know, um, you know, I think it's very important on, on our on our show that we we freely talk about. Um, uh, current events and things which are, are, are very relevant of course the other thing that gets um, very overplayed in all this Brexit stuff is uh, this hyperbole in the media that it's so awful for business but I keep coming back to a point I've made continuously which is only something like 1 in 12 businesses trade with the EU anyway mm-hmm. so um, you know it really isn't uh, that situation and that's not to say that um, uh you know that th- i would I would agree, as I said earlier that that leaving the EU certainly in the short to medium term is likely to see a contraction in our economy um, but you know Oops. but the, Sorry. Uh, so I think D- D- Drew has just been fined five million pounds for having his phone on during a live <laughs> podcast, so uh, at least it shows <laughs> so it's live it i suppose yeah. Um, so anyway, I think, you know, I think what we've demonstrated today is, which is very important, I think, is one of the things I'm quite excited about, um, and I realized this was a couple of weeks ago, I think there's a, uh, not only is there a, a gap in the professional services market for uh, a highly experienced uh, team, like, like us at Waite who, who've been there, done it, um, have, have all the skills and services that people really want there is uh, a yawning vacuum in society generally for people that talk good old common sense. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I try to do, and again, it'd be interesting to see if you disagree. I'd love to get feedback from you all. You know, I, I, I try very hard never to say anything live, which is, which is in any way biased or rep- unrepresentative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why, you know, if you read anything that I ever said pre-Brexit vote, it's very balanced. You know, so you know, I, I, I clearly, I clearly made my decision on the basis of of a free country. Mm. You know, um, you know, and I, and, I, and I think you know. Whereas sometimes the remaining people uh, go with this is they sort of make out that people didn't really know the facts, but. Um, The fact is, is that no one knows the facts. Mm. Um, Because no country has ever left the EU before, there is no Mm. empirical evidence for anyone to study to say this is what is going to happen. It's just educated speculation. Yeah, and, you know, the fact is that... um, So, you know, uh, just a small example. So I am, as you know, by um, academic discipline an economist, and it is true to say, with no exceptions, actually, and I'm not saying... I might have got lucky a bit. Not once... Not once in my life, since I've owned a house, which is since since 1984, have I called the market wrong. Mm. Ever. Mm. In 35 years. Right. So I have fixed at a time when interest rates went up. So, for instance, I was on a 10.9% fixed mortgage the day that Black Monday happened. Mm. I sat there smug, safe, uh, people crying in my office potentially wiped out overnight by the interest rates hurtling up to 17%, Mm -hmm. but I was safe because I saw it coming. Mm -hmm. I have been variable now for 10 years, 10, 11 years, uh, and and effectively paying 200 pounds a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Seriously, 200 pounds a year on a, obviously a very nice house. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it it, it would be true to say that would be against the mainstream economic opinion. Mm -hmm. So um, Nobody is God. Nobody knows. I'm not claiming that, by the way, that I am the greatest economist in the world. All I'm saying is is, is, is an example of something which is true. That in 35 years, I have never got interest rates wrong. Uh, I've always made the perfect decision, you know, at the benefit of time. And that would be at a time when I've sat in front of people and said, oh, no, you've got to fix. Because and I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, I've been proved right. Now, you know, maybe part of that is because, as you know, as an entrepreneur, I have a very strong instinct, you know, a big hunch of what is the right thing to do. I can see where it's going, mm. you know, where things are going to go, hopefully ahead of time. Sometimes I get it wrong. But, you know, so the thing is, it's just, the fact is, is that no one's denying that lots of very, very clever people and probably people that understand economic theory better than me uh, all believe that we are going to have chaos. Mm. I don't happen to agree with that. Mm. Um, and the fact is, it's, it's just an opinion, you know, and that's what a democracy is all about. I think.
0: Yeah, and being able to discuss that opinion in a way uh, so everyone has a say.
1: Yeah, and of course, that's that's probably the biggest danger at the moment is we are living in an increasingly snowflake society where freedom of speech is is um, you know a real real concern. I would mm. suggest. You know, I think people think get
0: very- more passionate about things, um, yeah. but but like. Um, uh, yeah, rather than rather than actually being ha- able to have a conversation that's um, you know to state their opinions in a calm way and actually have a discussion with someone, it's more. It gets like you see it in the political climate in in the House of Commons and in the debates. You know, I remember you've said before about um, the the common decency of being able to listen to someone else's opinion and and speak like like right. that. You don't see that happening. You. S- you, you see almost freedom of speech closing down a bit, but also people getting more aggro about... Well, that's what I'm saying. They... That's why,
1: that's why I'm, you know, in, in, a, in a certain way, um, I would say that one of the things that's come out of this chaos is it creates an opportunity for somebody like me. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, one of the things that... Um, so, for instance, one of the things I found out yesterday, which we must get hold of, Drew, is uh, they did a video for the Swindon Expo, and apparently, uh, they used they used my voice as the narration. Oh uh, wow! So they took uh, they took. I I'm not quite sure which part of the presentation it was, or so I. They they showed the video and they had me talking all over it. And um, my chums at the expo basically said that one of the reasons they picked me was they think I've got a very nice talking voice and it's very calming. You know. Um, So I I think that on a selfish level, uh, I think this sort of of chaos um, does create an opportunity for us because um, I think the world is crying out for a huge dollop of Bridgewater common sense. (laughs) And and actually, that was said to me a long time ago, even when when I worked for First Group. Um, I remember the chairman of First Group said to me that that's what I brought was good, huge dollops of Bridgewater common sense. And the fact is, as you say, you know, people are getting more and more extreme and that's just not happening. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, you know, I I never want to be associated with podcasts which are jingoistic, ridiculous, fanatical, or or lacking balance. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one can come to a conclusion. And, 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 you know, and and, and the fact is, there is no right or wrong. I think that is very important in life. People need to understand that life is grey. Life is never black and white, it's grey. And, uh, you know, to some extent... Uh, once you realise that, I think you need to, you know, you need to make the best of life that you can. Mm-hmm. So I think we probably chanted on enough today. Yes. So it was, um, it was actually um, quite hard today to decide what uh, music to play. Um, I've got the name of them now. I, I came across a band this week, which I will, um, I will uh, develop with with Drew uh, uh, for future, for future, for future episodes. Um, I'm not even sure what country they come from. Um, uh, I, 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 it came up by choice as a selection um, when I was watching. I watch YouTube a lot on the telly because um, it has a lot of current, current I, like, cause I like to be very up to date with what's going on, so uh, I, I go on there and if it says you know uh, Johnson just got a breakthrough with Renault car, I'll go and click on it to listen to mm. what's happened or whatever. And of course, there's, there's there's music videos all over there, and of course it's it's representative of, of music I've listened to in the past. So this week um, this, this, this um, track came up from a band I'd never heard of uh, so I clicked on it and I loved it so mm. I listened to so I listened to a half of that another seven another oh, band, nice. and, and, and it was uh, they're obviously foreign uh, and I, I decided probably Finnish or, or Baltic States you no, know, mm. Estonian Latvian or something um, so that's that's quite exciting so that's a that's a band uh, to get into and um, that's for um, for later times. So I've I've actually been listening to a bit of music this week, um, but I think um, on the balance of where we've got to so far, I think you know as Drew said to me last week, you know we've you know I think he's quite enjoyed uh, our musical journey since mm. we started doing these podcasts because we've we've played some some really good music, and I do give a lot of thought to to the tracks that we play, and I think there's a there's a band that um, that stands out that hasn't uh, hasn't been uh, represented. Today and therefore we're going to put that right today. And that's <laughs> Roxy Music. Oh wow! So I think in in the seventies, uh, in the early seventies, uh, apart from people like T Rex, Mark Bolin, uh, to me the two dominating um, artists of the seventies were Roxy Music and David Bowie, um, and you know they were shining beacons in in, in a little of Slade crap and you know people like that. Um, and the track we're going to we're going to play today is uh, "Do the Strand" by Roxy Music, which is uh, probably the the epitome of glam rock. Um, and I just love everything about it. I just love the energy. Uh, uh, one of the reasons I like uh, I like uh, Roxy Music as well is uh, they they have a very strong saxophone influence. Uh, and Andy Mackay, that plays the saxophone for Roxy Music, lives in Kilve. Um, oh, just, wow, I didn't know that. Just up the road and actually he's he's a friend of my old postman mate um who uh paul who uh who uh, I used to go to the gym with a lot and uh, he he used to deliver the post to Andy Mackay so we used to talk about Andy McKay quite a lot so um eno is a is another um people in the know is another genius that probably Uh, is starting to get forgotten but Roxy Music probably wouldn't have developed as Roxy Music without Brian Eno's influence and um, uh, I think at the the time that The Strand was being done, Eno was still a very important part of the band Um, for those of you who haven't listened to early Roxy Music, I would urge you to do so, it's really highly innovative and experimental music uh, in their early tracks and it's only really been um, you know, uh, in the last 20 years, where I think Roxy Music are probably seen by people like Drew as being a very mellow, very accomplished, smooth type of band. But uh, I see them more as disruptors mm-hmm. than, than that. So they would be a band that disrupted music and then became mainstream music, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, that might be a way of looking at it. So what I love about the, the record today is, 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 the, is the huge energy. It's a fantastic song. And, and the lyrics. So let's say le strand, do le Strandski. Mm-hmm. rhododendron is a nice flower, well, we are just a fantastic lyric, so anyway enough of me today, so uh, we are going to leave you with the fantastic Roxy music playing The Strand The Strand, well thank you very much listeners,
0: we'll catch you next time, you enjoy A Fabulous Creation The Strandler And you'll sing We're playing our tune By the pale moon We're in a meadow Down the meadow And we like the strands Arabs at the oasis Eskimos and Chinese
1: probably going to get 300,000.
0: It's
1: still not bad, is it, isn't it?